0: Good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. Can we welcome all of our campuses, our Appleton campus, our online campus, the Germantown campus? We are glad that you're joining us or joining us online. We're glad that you're with us as well. And uh, so it's great to see you. Hope you're doing well. And I uh, hope you're having a great week and a great summer. Today I'm going to get right into the message, if that's alright. If you want to take your Bible, I'm going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to give you more scripture references and you know what to do with. But uh, uh, I am um, I, I'm addressing an issue today that, quite frankly, I had not intended on preaching on. Um, I, I plan a lot of things out, but uh, uh, in, um, in, in some of my... Um, just, I just felt, uh, you know how uh, uh, you have a quarterback at the line and he calls an audible and there are just times in my life where I feel like the Holy Spirit calls audibles and that's where we've got to be, I've got to be sensitive uh, to to that in order to speak. And so uh, today I'm kind of moving away from what I am go- was going to preach and I'm really bringing something uh uh, on Friday, we were we've been on a family kind of a trip vacation. There was some business involved with some of that, and uh, to uh, Alaska uh, via Seattle. And so, um, anyhow, uh, great trip. I was really going to show you some pictures and had this great little message. And uh, it's kind of a cool deal. I'll uh, probably do <laughs> it next weekend or sometime over the course of the of the summer because I think it's pretty fitting. And uh, but with the Supreme Court ruling. Um, I felt it important for me as a pastor to speak to an issue that I don't think is legal in nature, but moral. Uh, And Historically in this country, contrary to popular opinion and historical revisionist, that the pulpit in America has been the voice of morality. Somewhere along the line, political correctness squeezed that out and marginalized that. I'm not trying to reclaim that this morning. I'm just simply trying to say I think this is something that as a pastor serving up the bread of life hot and fresh, which is God's word, to equip you, the saints, to do the work of ministry is huge because this topic of of same-sex marriage is trending consecutively hour after hour on twitter and instagram and and facebook and other social media outlets uh this being the gay pride weekend lgbt pride weekend is um is is heightening some of that so it's on every news outlet every rolling segment uh there's something about this and um and so honestly i uh I'm going to, I typically when I come to preach, I have about four to five pages of notes. I'm relatively extemporaneous in my communication, and uh, I try to at least make it keep you engaged. Uh, with a message like this, I'm going to pretty stay pretty tethered to my notes. I have 17 pages, uh, all of which I wrote on Friday and yesterday, uh, and uh, somewhat of what I would say is a theological uh, uh, positional paper, in essence, of what the Bible says about this issue. I don't take it lightly. Quite frankly, I'd really not like to preach this. Um, this is not something that you get up in the morning and you go, this is what I want to do. Uh, this is really what I want to preach. I really want to preach my cool message and show you some of my pictures from my trip. <laughs> kind of like show and tell, right? And, uh, but I- I'd like to remain silent. Um, uh, not because I don't have a strong opinion uh, or an argument. If you know me at all, I, I have an opinion about most things. Um, but if I'm silent, it's easy. It's not messy. Uh, I can't offend anybody, and, and I don't, contrary to popular opinion, I don't, I don't like offending anyone. Um, I'm really pretty much a, a lover, not a fighter. I, I, I really, um, unlike anybody else, I, I like to be liked um, I, I, if I remain silent, I can't be misquoted or misunderstood. I can't be maligned, hated, targeted, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, or I'd simply like to, if I don't have to, if I have to speak to the issue, like just give a simple open-ended statement like, we believe what the Bible believes on this issue, period. The problem with that is that there are so many interpretations of Scripture on this particular subject matter, even in theological circles and denominational circles that the water is so muddy that that is, in my opinion, not really speaking truth even in love. But I can't be silent. Um, Because this is a biblical issue not a legal issue. Thus at the core of this issue is a perversion and a sin that according to scripture only truth can heal. I can't be silent because political correctness and biblical soundness are mostly incongruent in the world in which we live. Thus, my biblical views will never be completely understood or accepted in the world. And lastly, and probably most importantly, well, not quite most importantly, uh, I am ordained by God to preach the full counsel of God's word. I can't just preach the pretty parts of this book that make me feel good, but I've got to preach the parts that sometimes make me cringe, that are sometimes tense, for me to say, and sometimes I'm even at a loss for words, it's the full counsel of God's word that brings total light into the darkness of my soul and to any one of us who walk this planet. And lastly and most importantly, the reason why I can't remain silent is that I will stand before God, not man, and be judged, according to Scripture, on every word that I spoke, preaching and concerning God's word and everything that I did not say. So today, I'm not here to throw any stones. Today, I'm not here to elevate any group, any political party. This is a nonpartisan. I'm an equal offender on both Democrats, Republicans, and independents. I'm not here to elevate anybody but Jesus. And I'm not here as judge. I'm just simply here as messenger. I, uh, I'm here to approach this issue of lesbian, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender uh, same-sex marriage from a strictly biblical perspective. And if you are in a homosexual lifestyle today, or you're connected with someone in a homosexual lifestyle today, I want you to understand this. And please hear this from the sincerity of my heart. I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to elevate myself above you. I don't think I'm any better than you, and I don't think that your sin is worse than my sin. I think the most gross error we can do in the church today is elevate homosexuality and these LGBT issues that we're facing in our country to become the pet sin of the church in which we pin a scarlet letter on. We've done this with divorce, We've done this with abortion. And if we're not careful, we'll do it on this issue. Is this issue sin? Yes. Will you go to hell for this? Yes. But as you'll find out in Scripture today, you'll also go to hell for being a murmurer and a complainer and a gossip. Matter of fact, in the Pauline theology, in which Paul writes to the church in Rome, adulterers and whoremongers and those involved in a homosexual lifestyle all go to the same hell that those who are gossips and backbiters and murmurs and complainers which has been the downfall of more churches in America than anybody outside the church ever could be so if you are involved in a homosexual lifestyle or you're connected, related to someone, please know that I love you know that this church loves you And most importantly, that Jesus loves you. And even if we disagree, that's okay. Please know that I don't disrespect you or hate you or think less of you. But it's very simple for me. My responsibility as a Christian minister is to preach this book. My responsibility as a Christian minister does not give me right to editorial privilege. My responsibility as a Christian minister is not to preach my opinion or my view or my thoughts or that of a denomination or a group of people, but rather, God, what do you say? So the bottom line, that's where I really want to deal with today, is what does the Bible say on this issue of marriage and same-sex marriage? Until recently, there's only been one definition in Webster's uh, uh, definition of marriage, and it's been this, the state of being united to a person of the opposite sex as a husband or a wife in a consensual and contractual relationship recognized by law. The Bible defines marriage like this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, "...so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female." And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. So God, so man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the, in, in the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, for he had brought her to man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. If you want to turn over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, Jesus deals with this issue of marriage and divorce And adultery all in the same swath. In Matthew chapter 19 verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. He's quoting the book of Genesis. And and said, for this reason will a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And so they were no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man or no one separate. This is also recorded again in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 10, verses 5 through 9. It was because of your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. He's speaking of the the, the law, the right of divorcement. Verse 6, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, and no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So God speaks this into existence prior to sin and the fall of man. Even prior to the institution of the church, Jesus affirms this again in the Gospels. And then Paul goes on to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5 and gives kind of an outline as he speaks to the, what a Christian family should look like. Verse 21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's speaking to husbands and wives here. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the, of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing uh, with water through the word and to present himself... As a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one... Is, is ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this me- reason, again, they're quoting Genesis again. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul, Paul's writing here. So again, we see this ideology of marriage and family consistently being a man and a woman, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. So why is the reference, why is the Bible the reference on marriage? Well, first of all, because Bible, the Bible is the first one to define marriage. And Webster and Oxford and anybody else, uh, any other uh, dictionary, uh, will also confirm that. Now, in the day and age in which we live, because they're trying to keep up with current times, there are modifications. So so same-sex marriage has now been, if you're online at all, has now been introduced into that whole whole. Uh, Talk and communication piece is a is a second or a third uh, uh, possible definition, but still the prevailing definition is this, and it has been. Because that's the second reason that the Bible is the reference on marriage, because the Bible's definition has been upheld from the beginning of time until just recently, until the past couple of decades, where public opinion has now shifted. God's word hasn't changed. Remember, God says of Himself in Malachi chapter three that He's God and that He changes not, but that the definition in our context has changed and I remind you that marriage, this institution of marriage, it predates the church. Before the church was ever conceived marriage was birthed. It predates sin and the fall of man which means this is how God intended it to be. And the last reason why the Bible is the reference on marriage is that marriage is not a legal arrangement, it's a moral one. And therefore, because it's moral, not legal, man cannot legislate morality. That's what we're trying to do. That's why it feels so divisive. Because no longer do we live with one simple code of conduct in this country. We have embraced a pluralistic view that all roads lead to God. And that Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. And that there are multiple ways to get to God. And so in order to be fair with everyone and with everything, we no longer suggest that there's just one way and we've got to make room at the table, governmentally and legally speaking, for everyone. So that's what the Bible says about marriage. That's how it defines marriage, period. So where does the same-sex conversation come into, and, 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 and what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? So let, let's get into what I would call the evolution of marriage and how we've come to today's definition uh, and how the Supreme Court uh, has come to a ruling, not, in, not, in, not unanimously, but, but, uh, but in a majority vote. Over the past couple of decades, public opinion has shifted on marriage, and so is the definition to same-sex marriage. Equality, quote-unquote, as it's called. It's been elevated that this same-sex marriage ideology is elevated to the same of that of a race or racial discrimination, attesting equality with the likes of slavery and the Jim Crow legislation that prevailed in the South. The argument is built around the acceptance of homosexuality, saying that homosexuality is equal with heterosexuality, that same-sex marriage is equal with the traditional view of marriage. And the rationale for homosexual equality is some of the major arguments are one, I was born as a lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender individual, kind of like uh, an ethnicity. I had no choice. Another rationale for homosexual equality is this is my body and I can do with it what I want to. It's my freedom. The last should really not be a surprise to us because of the secular humanistic points of view that we have brought into the education of our children is basically a quote-unquote don't-put-your-rules-on-me humanistic point of view. Humanism at its core, and I quote uh, from, from Oxford Dictionary, is an outlook or a system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than to divine or supernatural matters, elevating man's perspective above that of a divine being, i.e. God. So because of this and because of trying to make room for people, we have come back to this issue that we saw Play out in the supreme court in our country on friday so what does the bible say about homosexuality what does the bible say about a lesbian bisexual transgender or homosexual lifestyle romans chapter 1 verse 24 through 27 therefore god gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served creator, created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. We know that the law, speaking of God's word, is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, those who will kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 18, this is the law. You read the entire chapter 18, you will find and see the sexual sins all listed from homosexuality to incest to bestiality, which is having sexual relations with animals. Verse 22, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable, period. Verse 24 goes on to say, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how a nation that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. This is God speaking to Israel. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin. The land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things, which would be all the sexual indiscretions listed in the preceding verses in Leviticus 18. For all of these things were done by people who lived in the land before you, and the land will become defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut out from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that are practiced before you came, and do not defile yourselves with them, for I am the Lord your God. Now, if God is God and He changes not, then this activity of when a nation or a land becomes uh, committed into these sexual indiscretions, and you can read on your own time, uh, Leviticus 18. Then every every this is law of physics. This isn't rocket science. Every, maybe it is, every, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But what about grace, Aaron? Well, yeah, in the Old Testament, there was no grace. So Jesus came to fulfill the law, he says, but not to do away with the law. Meaning that the law is fulfilled in Christ, which means I don't have to try to perfectly keep the law because you and I and every one of us that's ever walked the planet except for Christ are unable to keep the law. The law was given almost to show us that this is what God expects and this is where I am. And this difference is what grace makes up. Jesus takes me from here where I am to here where God wants me to be. He elevates me. That difference of where I am and where God wants me to be is called grace. But the law says this is what you have to do. This is where you have to be. And if you're not there, then you are unrighteous. Therefore, you need to be cut off. But what I want you to understand is that the action and the reaction of what happens with the people group, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, there is still this type of behavior, this type of response that, that, that happens. And the only thing that saves us is the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so amazing. Without the grace of Jesus we'd be living under this. Because of the grace of Jesus, we still live with the law. The law doesn't lift, but Jesus is the one that absorbs when we fail and when we fall short. That's why Paul says, it's by grace that I've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and that not of myself, because I can't, I can't do this. It's a gift of God I've become boastful. Paul goes on to say, should I keep on sinning because grace is going to to absorb that? No. I should try to follow Christ in holiness and and follow Christ in purity and do everything I can to live up to this word. But the days that I fail, his grace is sufficient. The moments that I mess up, his grace is sufficient. But 1 John tells me that I need to confess my sins to Jesus because he is faithful and just, which means he does it every time and he has the ability to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13 again I didn't write this this is the law it says this if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman both of them uh, what, both of them have done what is detestable and they are to be put to death and their blood will be on their own heads again Old Testament no grace but the detestability of the sin is still there the weight of the sin is still there The wage of the sin is still there. This is why the Bible says, for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When you commit sin, regardless whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's adultery, whether it's idolatry, whatever the sin is, when you break the law or I break the law, I am sinning. And so there has to be something to atone. There has to be something to pay for my sin. I, I can't go to the buffet and eat and walk out. Does that make sense with anybody? No buffet eaters. Okay. I, somebody has to pay the tab. And so the bottom line is Jesus pays the tab. But grace is not a welcome matter which I wipe my feet off on. But, but it, it, it is that which upholds me and keeps me. Because I am not always having the ability to do these things. But it doesn't mean that this isn't that God's changed his mind on the situation. It isn't that God's changed his mind on how he views these things. He doesn't change. It's just that the repercussions, the reaction, the response, the equal and opposite reaction for my sin, Jesus paid it on the cross. So, Even with scriptures that are this straightforward, some in the theological communities and some of denominations have said, you know what, we don't think the scriptures mean what they think they mean. We don't think it's that straightforward. Well, how do they come to that? Because in some of my theological uh, academics of uh, my graduate work and doctoral work, I I am in classes and I'm in uh, chat rooms and in conversations with people that are ministers that go, I think you're narrow-minded, Aaron, that you're a, raci- that you're a bigot on this issue, and uh, it's just downright hateful. And so I say, well, how, how do you explain away what Paul writes? Well, we don't think that Paul's writings were the gospel. So you take a pair of scissors to them. Nah, don't get crazy, Aaron. We're just, it's good, but it's extra biblical. <laughs> you need to understand the scrutiny, and I don't have time to explain to it, that canonizes the scripture from Genesis to Revelation that gets it to you and I. The number of people that had to sign off on this book. So in essence, they just basically cut out what they don't like and what they disagree with. If I did that, if I only preached what I really liked and what I totally really did well, it would be very few sermons and they'd be very short. And my wife would be really happy. But 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 the reality is, is that This book, from Genesis to the Maps, I don't get editorial privilege over. Another argument is that Jesus doesn't specifically speak to homosexuality, to lesbianism, to to gay or transgender issues, bisexual issues. Well, if you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he doesn't specifically address murder either. Does that mean it's okay? I mean... Let's think about our ideologies, people. Let's really think about what we say. No, the reality is, is that in every single reference that Jesus gives on marriage, divorce, and adultery, and he's very straightforward, it's all based on a heterosexual relationship. Not one time is there any type of open context. Even in the original Greek, does he allow for a homosexual or a bisexual or a transgender relationship whatsoever? And these aren't my words, they're the words of Jesus. I'm just simply telling you, you go back to the original Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew in which this Bible was written, and you will find that it it, it is what it says that it is. It's been translated as best that we possibly can. But it's very straightforward on this issue. Another argument is that, well, okay, Aaron, uh, you know, legal and governmental issues that the Bible and Jesus is optional and should not be forced upon people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And I would agree with that. I think in this nation, we, we no longer are a Christian nation. Let's at least own that. I'm not saying that's what I'm prophesying or speaking over. I'm just saying it's the reality. If it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a duck. I mean, it's just pretty simple. But at the end of the day, though, the problem, though, with that ideology is that basically we're trampling on one person's rights to the benefit of another. It's a self-refuting theory that, that, that literally cannot play out. Because freedom, in order to have freedom, there are costs. There have to be costs. And the reality is, is, whose rights are you going to trample? So, great, Aaron. You, you've, you've biblically shown us what marriage is, is a heterosexual relationship between a husband and a wife both Old Testament and New Testament, that homosexuality, which would be LGBT uh, uh, issues, are a sin. And the Bible is very straightforward, Old Testament New Testament about this. And the only way that I can defend that is to try to deal with what was said in silence, but then I have other issues such as murder, drunkenness, etc. Or I have to basically take a pair of scissors to the Bible and, and edit it, which I'm not comfortable with doing. So how do I, as a Christ follower, respond in the day and age in which I live? How do I raise my children in this ever-changing landscape, especially on this issue? I think we, as Christ followers, according to Scripture, should respond with truth and with grace. And I'm going to explain this to you. Truth and grace. It's what Jesus did. If you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see how he responds. First of all, with truth, live the truth. What's truth? God's word. Life Church is not truth. Aaron Cole is not truth. You can quote me, <laughs> that in four bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. It, 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 it's not to hold a whole lot. I'm a person just like you. But this word will not pass away. This is God's word. If you don't believe this, this is a mute conversation. If you don't believe this, and I have to do what Paul says to those who didn't believe in who Jesus was, and that is just simply follow me as I follow Christ. Just look at my life, and hopefully in my life you will see truth and grace lived out in such a way that's attractive to you that you're going to want to know more about Jesus and that you're going to believe in this book. But this book is it. So live this out. How do I live this out? Well, first of all, don't back down on what you believe. I'm not saying you have to get a megaphone, right, and yell at all the drunk people at, at Summerfest, I'm, right? You're all going to hell. I'm not saying you have to be at, the, at, the, at, at, at Mitchell International, at the, at, you know, at, um, you know, at, at the airport, uh, and, and simply just yell at people and give them tracks as they come off the airlines. I've had that done multiple times on Friday nights. It's really funny sometimes. I just go, no. And they go, you don't want Jesus? And I just kind of smile and keep walking, thinking, you do not want to mess with this right now. And, um, but, you know, you I'm not telling you you need to do that. I'm not saying you need to put bumper stickers all over your car, right? Or put patches on your kids' backpacks. What I'm telling you is that at the end of the day, just believe what you believe. And don't back down on that. Don't allow experience to trump God's word. Don't elevate experience over this. Well, I know some some lesbian and gay and bisexual and transgender people, and they're really nice people. Yeah, I understand that. But being nice is not a prerequisite to get you into heaven. If it is, then your own actions save you. It's by grace that I'm saved through Jesus Christ. I have nothing to do with it, right? And so the reality is is that I need to be nice because Christ is in me. But there are people that are nice people that are going to go to hell. Why? Because they didn't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, that's very narrow-minded. I didn't write the book. We have established it at the beginning of this conversation. I don't want to be doing this. But I don't get editorial privilege. Live the truth. Don't shut up. Teach your kids. Listen, you can shelter them all you want to shelter them, but I'm telling you, this issue is going to hit. It's going to hit school systems, not just public but private. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Teach your kids. Use this as an opportunity to talk about this. Ask them what they think, what they believe, why they think, and then go back to God's Word. That's why I gave you chapter and verse. Go back to His Word and say, this is what the Bible says. So how does that line up with what you just read? How does that line up with what you were just taught? How does that line up with what you believe? Because if you don't and you cocoon them when they get out into the real world and they have to live with this, you know what's going to happen? They're not going to be able to stand against the arguments that are presented to them. But if you equip them, As Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says, if you teach and you train your children as they get up in the morning, as they go to bed tonight, as they walk along the road, as they go to their work, as they go here, as they go to school, as they go wherever they're going to go, if you are constantly using teachable moments to point them back, not to what you believe, not to what Life Church believes, to what does God's Word say, they'll always go back to this book. They'll always go back to this book. They'll always go back to this book. Why? Because this will be their reference for life and living. Live the truth. Don't give up. Keep the faith. I believe with all of my heart, as much as I am troubled about the ruling of the Supreme Court, I believe this is one of the greatest days of awakening for the church. I believe what will happen to the church if we will walk with humility towards our fellow man, even when we disagree with him, if we'll walk with love, but we'll live out the truth, that the truth will prevail. Listen, God will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. We are more than conquerors through the blood that Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross and the word of our testimony, which is this book. Amen. And so that's what we should trump. That's what we should do. We should just continue to make Jesus famous, live this truth, but don't let some experience or some ideology come into this. I hate having to even say this, but don't believe everything you read. It's amazing. Well, it's on the internet. Really? Do you not think there are biases out there? It's why, in an academic paper, you cannot quote Wikipedia. You, you, you just don't do that. Somebody's going, Whoa, Wikipedia is not real? Wow. But when you walk in truth, also walk in grace. How do I do that? Just follow Jesus' example. Live in love towards your fellow man. How will they know us? By our love one for another. I know that's speaking of how we love each other, but that should spill over into how we treat people. That's what Jesus, remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees? What was their issue with Jesus? He's a friend of sinners. You should be a friend of sinners. And if you're mean, sinners don't like mean people, especially mean Christians. You can bumper sticker your car all up, all day long, but I'm telling you, they're not going to like you. Do you understand? Just be nice. Noel Miller's dad, David Fields, he's, I've known David for years, played golf with him for years. He's, he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. We were in San Francisco. And, and his son DJ was there and we were all there and, and he was talking to him and he said DJ he said son just out nice them just out nice them I know that's not grammatically correct but you understand what I'm saying and I understood what he said people are going to be mean in this world just be nicer and that's not easy to do is it? because if you cut me off in traffic guess what I want to do I want to ram you with my car <laughs> and somebody goes oh he's got issues let's pray for him yes I have a lot of issues please pray for me don't email me. Pray for me. <laughs> right? You mean to me? I want to be mean back. You want to punch me? I have a really hard time with turn the other cheek. Let's get this on like Donkey Kong, baby. All between me and you is air and opportunity if you feel a froggy jump. That's how I feel. But what changes that? Jesus changes that. And if he doesn't change that, then what good is this gospel? It's just fire insurance to save my butt out of hell. That's all it is. As a church of Jesus Christ, we need to walk with love towards one another. Well, but if we love them, we'll be approving and condoning. No, it does not. That doesn't even hold theological water. At least act like you've read the Bible. The Bible says that when we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Why did he die for us? John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved you and I that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but to bring this world to life. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, we need to love. My love does not approve you or condone you. It just simply, it speaks more of me than it does of you. So if I have people that are in any sinful state, how do I treat sinners? With love. Friendly, that's what Jesus did. But are they going to confuse that? No, because we go back to this is what the Bible says. And will there be tension over this issue? Yes. As the church of Jesus Christ, as we try to walk out truth and grace, there will be times we'll be more grace-filled and we need to be more truth-filled. There will be times where we err more towards the truth than we do towards grace. And in those moments, we simply own it, we apologize, and we move on. Why? Because we're imperfect people. The church isn't perfect. We are jacked up. Do you understand that? You're jacked up and I'm jacked up. And if you're the church and I'm the church, we're in deep weeds, right? Everybody understands. I just don't know if you can say that. I just said it. You want to rewind the tape? But that's the reason why that we have grace. It makes up the difference. So are you saying just go live any way you want to live? No, that's sin. And if I live in sin, the Bible says that sin produces death in my life and destruction in my life. Look, even if there wasn't a heaven to gain or a hell to shun, following Jesus is the very best way to live life. It's the best way to live in, 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 in unity with my family. It's the best way to live in harmony with the world. It's the best life for me. But on top of that, there is a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shun, contrary to popular opinion and loose theology. Jesus Christ is coming back. We are the bride of Christ, and we are not of this world. We need to live and walk in such a way that we walk in love, that we walk in peace, and that we live it out. Read the Beatitudes. That's what we're called to do. And we're going to have to learn how to manage the tension between truth and grace. So... Aaron, if I'm a homosexual today, am I invited or welcome at Life Church? Yes. Can I can, can I be a member at Life Church? No. Well, that's pretty narrow-minded, isn't it? No, I didn't write the book. For you to be living in open sin, anyone living in open sin, I would say you need to deal with this issue before you want to come into this. If I know you're an alcoholic. Before you become a member at Life Church, I'm gonna say, let's sit down and address this issue. Why? Because you dealing with alcoholism is gonna be way more important than you being a church member. Because getting, going to church, being a church member, does not get you into heaven. Going to church doesn't get you into heaven. Sitting in this room doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? faith in Jesus Christ. It's by faith in Christ that you've been saved and that not of yourself. It's not your actions. It's not your ministry. It's not your hours of involvement. It's not your giving. You cannot work or buy your way into heaven. It's by Jesus Christ. But I didn't write the book. And at the end of the day, if I or the staff knowingly know that you're living in in, in, an open sin in any area, no. I can't. I don't get privilege of that. People come to me and say, well, we're living together. We want to get married. Then you need to get separate residences or go file it three days. We'll come here. We'll do a ceremony. We can do the big pomp and circumstance, but we'll do a private ceremony. But I'm not going to marry you knowingly, knowing, openly knowing that you are living with someone. Why? Because it's open sin. And if I condone that, then that's wrong. Woo, it got quiet up in here. all—you You heterosexuals want to go back to the homosexual issue, don't you? That's what it means to be accountable to one another in the local church. Am I judge or jury? No, but this book is. What if I'm struggling with that? Then struggle with all of us. Are there people struggling with homosexuality? Yes, it's a perversion, it's a sin, it's a temptation to some people, just like anything else is, just like uh, monogamy is to some people or, or any other type of sexual sin or, or, or addictive behaviors with substance abuse, whether it's prescription or it's, or it's illegal. These are issues we're dealing with as people. So how do we deal with one another, love one another, welcome one another? But you're going to come into leadership, you're going to come into a covenant relationship, and that's what church membership is, then you've got to come into a covenant relationship, first of all, with God and a right standing. As I conclude, I just want to read a written statement that's compiled from myself, uh, a lot of from Dr. George O. Wood, who is the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, who r- released a statement, and uh, several other organizations, and then we're going to pray. Today is a sad day for America. In Ogrefell versus Hodges, in a 5-4 majority of the Supreme Court, ruled, "Quote: The Fourteenth Amendment requires a state to license a marriage between." two people of the same sex and to recognize a marriage between two people of the same sex when their marriage was lawfully licensed and performed out of state. As a Christian minister, I'm deeply concerned with the courts redefinition of marriage and the negative effects that it may have upon the religious freedom. Scripture defines marriage solely in the terms of the union of a man and a woman. Not only that, Scripture prohibits same-sex intercourse. When it comes to same-sex marriage, prohibits, Scripture prohibits what the Supreme Court permits. As Christians, we affirm and believe, quote, the Bible is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. Quote, the Scriptures of both the Old and New Testaments are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible and authoritative rule of faith and conduct, end quote. I'm grateful that in its decision the Supreme Court acknowledged that our opposition to the same-sex marriage and behavior arise from good faith rather than from animus. But I'm deeply concerned, however, about how the court will rule when the government laws and regulation that reflects its redefinition of marriage conflict with our biblical behavioral standards. Will public accommodation laws be interpreted to require Christian congregations to rent their sanctuaries to the same-sex mar- weddings? if they also rent their sanctuaries to weddings involving a man and a woman? Will Christian ministers be required to solemnize same-sex marriages? Will Christian colleges and universities be required to enroll the same-sex married students, even though that constitutes a violation of their student code? Will Christian schools, primary through college, be able to access federal student loans and grants if student conduct codes prohibit same-sex behavior? Will Christian organizations that provide psychological counseling, adoption services, and other services that require professional licenses be stripped of their licenses because of their faith-based opposition to same-sex marriage and behavior? A Lot to think about, isn't it? Will Christian organizations lose their tax-exempt status because of their opposition to same-sex marriage because of the Bob Jones precedent? The answer to these questions based on the First Amendment should be a straightforward no, but in oral arguments about the Oberfell before the Supreme Court, Solicitor General Donald B. Verilia himself admitted when asked a question such as these, quote, I don't think I can answer that question without knowing more specifics, but it's certainly going to be an issue. I, stuttering implied, I, I, I don't deny that, I don't deny that. It, It is is going to be an issue. And that is my deepest concern. Although it should not be, religious freedom itself is going to be an issue. And in this way, the Supreme Court's ruling regarding so-called marriage equality will be used as a wedge to narrow the scope and weaken the protections afforded by the free exercise of religion guaranteed to Americans by the First Amendment. No religious person, Christian, Jew, Muslim, etc., can view that possibility as good news. No freedom-loving American should. As an American, I believe that this decision represents a judicial usurpation of politics. Proponents of the same-sex marriage like to draw analogies between the movement of the abolitionists and the civil rights movements. The analogy is false, but it's nonetheless instructive in this particular case. Whereas the... Uh, the um, The abolition and the civil rights were enacted democratically by amending the U.S. Constitution in the 1860s and passing national civil rights legislation in the 1960s. Same-sex marriage has been democratically enacted in only 11 states in the District of Columbia. It has therefore been imposed upon 39 states and American territories by the state and federal courts that overturned uh, democratically enacted definitions of marriage as one man and one woman in union. I cannot help but think that this is an unhelpful way to resolve political, social, and moral conflicts that divide the American people. Three words of pastoral advice, first to Christian ministers, politics reflects culture and culture reflects religion and if you're concerned with the political drift of the American culture then preach the gospel as it sends out roots into the lives of believers. The seed of the gospel will change the hearts and minds. Second, to Life Church, if you are privileged, excuse me, you are privileged citizens of a blessed nation, then use your citizenship well, seek the common good. Advocate for the last, for the lost, and for the least. Speak the truth in love. And vote for candidates and issues that reflect a biblical perspective on these issues. The difference in so many conflicts in American politics and culture turns on who turns out to vote. And lastly, to all Christians. If you're troubled with the Supreme Court's decision, keep perspective. In this and in every other matter, always remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Let us all pray for a great spiritual awakening in our country.